Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to the Toe Meets Leather Podcast. I'm Logan. Joining me today is uh, a wise man once said, keep your friends close and your beards closer. Andrew. How's it going today, Andrew? I'm doing well, man. I'm I'm just kind of excited that Georgia Tech might get to play this weekend. You know, uh, a weekend without watching our offense is a sad weekend for me. <laughs> I mean, you could have watched the Army game, but uh, that was a little sad for everybody involved. Um, yeah, you know, I, I'm not going to say that Ohio State supports terrorism, but they did beat <laughs> Army. They beat them like they stole something. That was pretty terrible. Uh, but anyway, I, honestly, after the performance Ohio State's had the first few weeks, I thought Army had a chance, and uh, lo and behold, they did not. <laughs> not at all. Uh, anyway, maybe – Maybe this week they'll be able to score more than Atlanta United did uh, uh, last weekend. We'll see what happens. All right, so to kick us off, there were quite a few upsets last week. I mean, (laughs) we were actually debating this before the show started. There were plenty of upsets that were not ranked teams, but for this moment we're going to focus on the unranked beating the ranked teams. So we're going to start it off with the primetime SEC matchup. Uh, Mississippi State ended up – taking on LSU and pretty much demolishing a team that a lot of us considered at the beginning of the year to be, if not an SEC contender, if not a playoff contender, certainly an SEC contender. So just running off some stats that I'm sure Andrew's going to kind of critique. Mississippi State had 285 yards on the ground against, I think, what most people would consider a stout LSU defense. Granted, a lot of that was helped due to LSU losing players on targeting calls. That was kind of as the game went on, LSU's defense started to really lose composure. Uh, And, of course, the offense didn't help anything. Only 135 yards on the ground, and Danny Etling only threw for 137 yards passing. So kind of just struggled all around for LSU out of nowhere. I think a lot of people were expecting them to come out and show dominance this week, and uh, (laughs) – You don't have your cowbell with you, as far as I can tell, but uh, your Mississippi State Bulldogs came in, kicked some tail. What are your thoughts, Andrew? Yeah, you know, I I was really surprised. Artem was, and I'm sad he's not here, because he was was really bully, (laughs) to make a a bulldog joke, on Mississippi State and and Nick Fitzgerald a lot more than I was. But after watching this game, you know, you, you saw Matt Canada's offense hit a bit of a stumbling block with LSU. You know, you're not sure how much they'd really been challenged early on in the season, you know, pretty good walkovers with BYU and Chattanooga. And, and so they really bumped into a a Mississippi State defense that came ready to play. Uh, I was really impressed by the, the front four and the front seven of, of Mississippi State. They did give up 4.6 yards of carry, but they really kind of minimized what they were able to do. And the biggest part, like you said, was the penalties. I mean, every time LSU would make a good stop, there'd be a penalty. There'd be some kind of late hit, some kind of personal foul. You know, the two targeting calls are never going to be helpful. I mean, and to me, they were, I mean, they were pretty cut and dry targeting calls, both leading with a crown of the helmet. You, and You really agree with that? I actually wondered about the second call because it kind of looked like he just fell into the quarterback. But, yeah, they both led with the crown of the helmet. The first one was cut and dry. The play was damn near over, and he just rams his head into the guy. 
Yeah, that's that's kind of the thing. You're having to teach some tackling a little bit better now, a little bit differently than you used to. Because a lot of times, you know, you really did want to hit the guy up under the chin, especially with the quarterback, to try to get him shaken up and try and get him rattled. And now that's that's going to get you a free trip to the locker room. So you're gonna you're hopefully going to have to see some adjustments on that. But you know, the Mississippi State offense really came out, and you know they ran for. 5.9 yards of carry, 285 yards. You know, Nick Fitzgerald, who put together a really good last year last year as the leading rusher on this Mississippi State team, has really kept going. You know, he's not a guy that you think would be fast. You know, 6'6", 230, you know, big kind of gangly dude. You know, you never really expect him to be as fast as he, you know, to <laughs> to steal the old uh, commenter's cliche, you know, he's sneakily athletic. <laughs> he's... Yeah, stealth, stealthily skilled, but no. Go ahead. <laughs> but, you know, Mississippi State's going to have a big challenge this, this week going into Georgia, which I think is going to be another kind of slobber knocker because Georgia's a team that I think is really good defensively and still kind of struggling to find an offensive identity. They're kind of similar in a lot of ways. Big, strong rushing offense, big, strong defenses. I think Mississippi State's obviously probably got a more experienced quarterback at the end of the day. And, of course, they're both Bulldogs, so that'll be a fun matchup to watch. As as well as Nick Fitzgerald is from Richmond Hill uh, in Georgia, just outside of Savannah. Oh, really? I did not know that. So this is kind of like a homecoming for him, in a way. Yeah, he, um, you know, not to, and we can talk about this when we get into that game preview later, but Georgia doesn't have the best track record. Now, you know, Fromm has looked good for him, so you can't really say too much about that, but they let Deshaun Watson leave the state. They let Cam Newton leave the state. You know, they've had some issues with some really talented local quarterbacks going other places. I think people just get fed up with Georgia fans. I can't blame them for that. I'm fed up with Georgia fans. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's it's one of the joys of living in North Carolina. I don't have to deal with them nearly as much. <laughs> I just have to deal with Duke fans. They're elitist and jackasses. And they're a terrible team. Well, at least you can beat them, I guess. Oh, uh, Duke had two good years, and Duke fans think that, oh, we're the football No, Duke. Learn your place. <laughs> I don't I don't come out talking trash about Georgia Tech basketball because we had one good season. No. Learn your place. Are, are you done? Can we move on to another team that needs to learn its place? Uh, is, it U, is it UCLA? Who got whopped by Memphis? No, but we're going to get to them in a minute. I'm talking about Vandy over Kansas State, actually. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry to say that about Vandy. I don't know why I had to bring that up. I just they, I feel like if we're talking about elitist assholes, Vandy should be included. Uh, uh, you know, that's what happens when it's a, you know, a really good school. Unfortunately, you get that kind of attitude from people. I mean, we see it from Georgia Tech fans from time to time. You don't have to apologize. We're on radio. They can't hurt you, man. <laughs> All right, moving. <laughs> you know, you know, you say that. Can we actually? Okay, we're actually going to talk about the game now. So Vandy, or Kansas State, rather, learned what I think we've known for the past few years is you can't really pass. You can't really throw the ball on Vandy's defense. Not a way you would expect to, anyway. <laughs> Jesse Ertz only was able to throw for seventy-six yards. Uh, 10 for 28, and he threw two interceptions. Now, granted, they did a lot better on the ground, uh, 201 yards, 
But most of that was from Jesse Ertz. 126 coming from uh, Kansas State's quarterback. Vandy kind of had the opposite uh, spectrum. They had 205 yards through the air and only 65 on the ground. It was a pretty big defensive battle. I kind of watched this game on and off. The one thing I took away from it is it seemed like Vandy really put a lot of thought and prep into this game. And I think Kansas State kind of got caught in a situation where they didn't think this was going to be as big a game maybe as it turned out to be. Going on the road against any team is a challenge, and Vandy took advantage of the So, uh, yeah, I, go ahead. Yeah. I think it's a game of turnovers. You know, Kansas State ran the ball extremely well. You don't know why they really even, you know, maybe I'm, you know, I have on my Georgia Tech colored glasses where I'm like, fuck it, let's just throw the ball nine times and run the ball the rest of the game and win it. You know, we almost think that Kansas State should have stuck with that. They averaged 5.7 yards per carry, which is really, really good against, like you said, what's been a pretty stout Vanderbilt defense. You know, that's the one thing that Derek Mason's really done a good job of building at Vanderbilt is is the defensive side of the ball. But you look at it, you know, you, you have a great series of drives in the second half where it goes Kansas State interception, Vanderbilt fumble, Kansas State interception, <laughs> Vanderbilt touchdown. And, I mean, that's that was what was the difference in the game right there. You know, if Kansas State forces more turnovers or is able to capitalize on the Vanderbilt turnover instead of just immediately turning it back over to Vanderbilt, that might have helped them out. But, again, I, I question why – Snyder got away from running the ball as much. You're having that much success, and you see it with coaches sometimes. I get, you know, sometimes you want to be flashy. Sometimes you want to try and show and do. But, you know, if it's working, I've always been in the attitude, I'm going to keep doing it until you show me you can stop me. Yeah, and you you wonder if part of it's just trying to divvy up the, you know, keep – Keep from, uh, keep from keep the uh, defense from checking up on your running or passing. Passing, but at the end of the day, when you've got that many yeah. yards, it doesn't make any sense. To, at least to my mind, as a coach, you should <laughs> you should just keep doing what you're good at. Paul Johnson certainly got it figured out. We don't all need to be Oklahoma State. We don't have to have a running game. Sometimes you just need to. <laughs> sometimes you just need to stick to one side of the ball. Anyway, next up. You know what, screw it. I'll just skip to UCLA because you seemed really excited about that one. So, <laughs> I mean, as as someone who just doesn't really like Josh Rosen, anytime that bad things happen to him, it usually puts me in a pretty decent mood. You know, it's funny. I can't think of anybody outside of ESPN who has anything positive to say about Josh Rosen. I think you know, I, and the worst part is, is he's a good player. You know, it's not that he's, you know, a jerk or a, a jackass on the field. It's just he's such a piece of shit off the field. Is this like, <laughs> is this the Jeff Gordon effect where it's just like, you know, he doesn't have the right attitude for for the sport that he's in. So nobody just seems to like him very much. No, I mean, he just he just seems like a guy. And I don't I don't know the guy personally. So, you know, I could be way off base. But he seems like a guy who's bought completely into the hype and doesn't think that he has to show anything. Because when you really look at it, what has he done? Has he gone to a bowl game at UCLA? I know he was hurt last year, so you really can't argue that. But, I mean, even as a freshman, he, he's regressed. If you look at the numbers and you, you look at some of what he's done, he's 
he's somewhat regressed from how talented he was as a freshman. And that's where you have to question, you know, did the kid drink too much of his own Kool-Aid? I don't honestly know. He certainly had the stats in this game, but he he has such a hard time. We saw in the Texas A&M game him to close it out, but we've seen in the past at the same time that he just he doesn't seem to have the mentality uh, during most games. He kind of lets the other team pull ahead. But anyway, about the actual game, I kind of turned this game off. I saw Memphis was in the lead, uh, and I was like, oh, this is a potential upset. But then immediately after that, UCLA took the lead, and I was like, well, nothing's going to come of this. UCLA is just going to pull away. And boy, was I wrong. Uh, so I looked at the stats for this game, and I was surprised. They were pretty much right down the middle for both teams. Both teams had three turnovers. Both teams put up over 550 yards total. Uh, UCLA kind of had the advantage in possession. They had 32 minutes, and uh, Memphis had 28. The only clear distinguishing difference I saw was UCLA had a better third down efficiency, but was 0-1 on fourth down, while Memphis was 2-3, which seemed to me that Memphis was willing to go for the win more so than UCLA was. But I'll turn it over. I, I'm sure you've got better thoughts on the the matchup. My thought from looking at it is the turnovers were even, but the, the turnovers for Memphis didn't really hurt them. You know, they... Memphis threw an interception, but then UCLA fumbled the ball on the very next play. So, you know, that, that doesn't hurt you. You know, you get to the second half, Memphis throws an interception, but UCLA takes a, you know, loses the ball on downs. You know, I think the big difference was that pick six. You know, it's UCLA scores to, to get it to a three-point game, forces a punt for Memphis where their offense really didn't do anything, and then threw the pick six on, again, you, you go back and watch it, that is a horrible piece of decision-making by Josh Rosen. Uh, you never, ever roll right and throw back across your body into the middle of the field. Although it's funny, if you watch the uh, the film, as much as I want to put all of the blame on Rosen's, his wide receiver baited him. His wide receiver waved, I'm open, I'm open, and didn't see the defender. And wow. so Rosen sets, steps to throw, steps, throws across his body, and the guy jumps in front. Six is it? Damn. Well, I mean, as much as I want to say that's a terrible decision by the UCLA players, because it clearly is. What a great move by the Memphis defender to actually take advantage of something like that. Yeah. Oh. yeah you know, I mean, and it's, and it's being in the right place and, and making your reads, keeping your eyes where they need to be, and and doing what you need to do. But that's the biggest thing to me is. Memphis was able to turn their turnovers into points and their turnovers really didn't help them or didn't hurt them. You know, they fumbled or they threw an interception and then UCLA fumbled it. They fumbled it. They stopped UCLA in three plays, negative two yards for a punt. They threw an interception late in the game. UCLA turns it over on downs. I mean, that's really the thing is that the, when put in a position to, to have to stand up after a sudden change, the Memphis defense bowed their backs and held. Well, 
and again, I didn't see the game, so you can tell me if I'm wrong. But it seemed like Memphis took the stance based on what the stats show of desperation, where it's like, I we have to make something out of every drive we have. Whereas UCLA either chose not to or just kind of struggled at certain points to take advantage of the opportunities they were given. Uh, so, but I do get where you're coming from. Yeah. I mean, turnovers at the end of the day is going to kill you one way or the other if you take advantage of them or not. It, it is, and it will. You know, the saving grace is if you've got a defense that's that's talented, that is, you know, like Alabama turned the ball over, usually is not as big of a deal because their defense is – even with Clemson, you know, teams that are that good defensively. Stanford, which we're about to talk about in a second. But What? Stanford is another good example we're about to talk about in a second. But yeah. anyway – but yeah, I mean, if you you know, but yeah, turnovers are going to be winning the turnover battles. Usually, going to help you win the game. Thanks, John Madden. <laughs> you put the ball in the end zone. Team's you know, you know, Al. I think um, I think the team that has the most points uh, at the end of the game when they blow that final whistle, they're uh, they're going to be the team that wins. Well, you see, what had happened was was the offensive player had the ball, and the defensive player saw that he had the ball, and then boom. He hits that offensive player, takes him to the ground. That's a tackle. That's just good football. All right. I got to work on my John Madden impression. But, uh, so we were – UCLA's crap, Josh Rosen's crap. Uh, that's my official stance. Don't, don't take that out of context. But uh, we're going to move on to San, the last major upset that we saw this weekend, Stanford and San Diego State. So we were just talking about defenses that kind of are able to limit the damage of turnovers. I think Stanford's defense was really what kept them in this game for the number of turnovers they had. If I'm looking at this correctly, Stanford turned the ball over three times, two interceptions. They let San Diego State dominate ball possession for 41 minutes. They still only lost by six points. And I think that's because of the defense. But where was the offense for all that? Stanford wasn't able to do anything. They couldn't stay on the field, it, feel, it felt like. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how good your defense is. If they're out there the whole time, they're going to get tired. They're going to lose the game. We've kind of seen Stanford drop off. I mean, you take the loss at USC for what it is. USC is a good team. But uh, now they go and lose to San Diego State. Can we really take anything away from this loss uh, that Stanford saw, or does it really just come down to the turnover factor? I mean, San Diego State's a good team. They, they've really put together and positioned themselves to be one of the better G5 programs out there, and you don't really want to take it away from them. But I, I'm looking at the numbers. I didn't watch this game. It was Pac-12 after dark. I'm an old man. I go to sleep early, <laughs> as well as there was a lightning del or a, a darkness delay. The lights went out or something. Yeah. So it was delayed even longer. But it's a game where you look at it and you go, what in the hell, Stanford? Why? <laughs> Pull my stats up real quick. Except that my stats decided to freeze because that's what happens when I want to look at them. Let me see. Do I still have the stats up? I think I, I switched to Lamar Jackson. but uh... If I remember correctly, they, they were running the ball for something like six and a half to seven yards a carry. And they I mean, decided to Bryce throw. Bryce Love is legit. They're the running, you know, we talk about Stanford running backs. They're really, 
at times almost like a plug and play. Yeah. On but, on average, they were rushing for 6.7 yards, but they decided Bryce to keep Love going. Bryce Love is averaging 14.2 yards a carry. Like, Jesus, Stanford. <laughs> you were never down enough, in my mind, to get away from the run game. And obviously, Keller Chris didn't play well, so obviously you give a shout-out to, to the San Diego State defense. You know, it looks like they – kind of wanted to run the ball and dink and dunk a little bit in the passing game 32 runs 29 passes actually 49 runs 29 passes. so obviously san diego state really kind of wanted to come in and just run the ball and i think san diego state had the grinded out mentality which i think was the way to go i mean dominate ball possession make sure stanford doesn't get the ball back wear out the defense but yeah i just come back to kind of what we talked about with kansas state what are you doing you're clearly kicking their butt running the ball on them just keep doing that (laughs) why is it so complicated yeah uh yeah you know and i guess i mean bryce love is good he's he's a fun one to watch at stanford i think coaches are just the mentality now is that you have to throw the ball i don't know what the logic is behind that you know me i mean i mean I'm not. Yeah, I'm, about, here's, I mean, Bryce loves past three games: thirteen carries for 180 yards, seventeen carries for 160 yards, thirteen carries for 184 yards. This Omre is averaging 12.2 yards a carry. Feed him the rock, Stanford. This makes me wonder about Chris McCaffrey, though. Like, is it just that Stanford's line is that good for rushing the ball, or does it? <laughs> I think that's a big part of it. Stanford has done a fantastic job recruiting on the offensive line, which is always going to help you. I just don't understand. Just Stanford, just run the ball. Is it so complicated? Um, so there were some other games that you could potentially call upsets. I mean, do you want to talk about the Tennessee-Florida game? I mean, I guess it's, if that's technically an upset, I guess it counts. You know, I think well, was Florida – who was favored going into that game? Do you remember? It it was actually Florida. So, no, it wasn't technically an upset. But rank-wise, I think it was the other way around. So, funny how that funny how that works out. I guess because I mean, Florida lost a game. The guy, the, the guy who's in the doghouse is that corner who gave up on the last play. And I'm starting to wonder. I thought it was just a Tennessee thing. But how often have we seen that in the SEC where – like, it happened um, – I remember it happening in the Georgia-Tennessee game last year. Well, it happened in the Georgia-Tennessee game. I can also remember it happening in the Auburn-Georgia game. Maybe it's just Georgia. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but I mean, yeah. talk about a team with a lucky horseshoe up their ass. They're definitely one of them. But no, I mean, yeah, you see this a lot in the SEC where it's just it comes down to a Hail Mary for some reason. Uh, I don't know. That just stands out to me. I think there were a few other ones. I guess technically Kentucky over South Carolina counts as one. South Carolina was favored in that game. That one that one did surprise me a good bit. I, I thought South Carolina was going to kind of – I was I was a bit high on them after their first couple of weeks. They, they looked a lot better than I expected them to be. And I just – I didn't expect a lot out of Kentucky. You know, I don't – I didn't think they were very good. Kentucky hasn't shown us a lot, but at the same time, I think Kentucky is a team that was probably looking ahead to the SEC schedule because they knew they weren't really playing anyone up to that point. Uh, 
you'd still you'd like to see more out of them when you're playing you know nobody's state but i can't tell you yeah i mean they've got a big test this week against florida we'll see what happens that's going to be an interesting matchup i mean you had kentucky as a dark horse and they i think they're still very much in it so we'll have to see what happens yeah although they haven't beaten florida in like 35 years so oh yeah that's that's still going on. I forgot about that. <laughs> this, this is that rival rivalry. Uh, yeah, one of those one-sided rivalries. Like, <laughs> never won. We've never won a game against them, so we hate them. And they they don't really care about us that much. Um, I mean, that's really honestly because the winner the winner of this game really sets themselves up especially if Georgia loses to Mississippi State as kind of the the driver's seat team in the East. I mean, we'll have to see what happens. Uh, there's still too much to tell. The East is the only one that matters, though. I I stand by my assessment that Alabama is what's going to come out of the West. But, uh, yeah, I mean, frankly, there's still too much to say in the East until both Florida and Tennessee play Georgia because that kind of gives you the – runaway team as it were but Kentucky's yeah. Kentucky's got a shot Kentucky's got a shot I think I do think they can take Tennessee so then it just comes down to that Georgia game we'll see what happens uh any other upsets you want to talk about before we move on to our next segment I don't think I really saw any other that jumped out to me uh hurricane over uh the Miami FSU yeah, game <laughs> you know um Wake Forest is still undefeated. Um, Duke is still undefeated. Two things that I don't think we'd ever want to have to say. That was the weirdest game. Duke looked – it's weird to say that Duke looked bad against Baylor, of all people. (laughs) I mean, honestly, it was a – they did pretty well, but I guess uh, a lot of people are coming back now and saying that Duke looked ugly in that game. Uh, I don't see it. I mean, Baylor's better than people give him credit for. We'll just have to see how that plays out in the future. I don't think – and I do think uh, uh, we'll see what happens in the UNC game because that will really tell you if Duke is going to be a competitor or not. All right. Yeah, I think so. Speaking of competitors, uh, wanted to talk about Lamar Jackson. Obviously, uh, Louisville played Clemson last week. Clemson ended up stomping them at the end of the day, but – the big topic, at least on ESPN, is how does that impact Lamar Jackson's Heisman chances? Honestly, he didn't perform that terribly in the game. I think he got uh, 317 yards through the air, three touchdowns, and one interception. He didn't do as well on the ground as he usually does, but uh, honestly, I'm not sure. A lot of people were talking about how Clemson's defense might be the best defense in the NCAA this year going into that game. I don't know if I agree with that statement, but they certainly looked impressive out there. Uh, So you got to look at this and be like, well, do we feel like he did well considering the defense he went up against? Or should we throw him out because his team couldn't win a key matchup? Uh, Honestly, Andrew, I know you've got some strong thoughts about the Heisman in general, but what do you think specifically about Lamar Jackson's chances after this matchup? I mean, I don't think Lamar Jackson deserved the Heisman last year. I mean, if that's my, you know, that's going to be my hot take for the the conversations. I don't think he deserved it last year, especially how they faded 
you know, he's he's one of those guys that wins the Heisman purely on numbers. Yeah, he's fun to watch. Yeah, he's athletic, and he puts together great numbers. But what does he want at Louisville? They won, what, 10 games last year? Yep. They didn't beat anybody that mattered. Didn't beat Clemson. Was it 10 or 9? No, it got was. Got smoked in the bowl game. Got smoked by Ken, a, not even that great Kentucky team. They lost to Houston. <laughs> lost to a, a really good and underrated Houston team. Yeah. So my thing is, I I don't, I, especially with the numbers other guys are putting up, I, I think he's kind of fallen out of the, the driver's seat this year. So what are you thinking then? Is it going to be Rudolph? The top I think list? I think it's them boys from Oklahoma. I think it's the guy at Oklahoma. It's it's Mason Rudolph and it's Baker Mayfield. In my mind, have to be the two, the two front runners. I mean, Mayfield's definitely got the resume right now, especially after that win over Ohio he's State. Flashy. He's on a good team and he puts up numbers. I mean, that's really what the Heisman's <laughs> kind of become. And I think Rudolph, at the end of the day, has got better numbers, but he hasn't really played anybody significant yet, unless you count Pitt as being somebody significant. So that's. No. Um, well, and the other part is the front of Mason Rudolph jersey has that state written on it, which doesn't carry nearly <laughs> as much weight as the one on the front of Baker Mayfield's jersey. True story. I don't know. If they beat Oklahoma this year, I think that puts... No, so I'm actually really excited about the possibility, because the Big 12 is weird, that we could get Bedlam played the last week of the season and then actually have a rematch a week later in the Big 12 title game, if, say, both teams are undefeated going into that game and one beats the other and then they have to play again a week later. I think we we talked about this in the Big 12 cast that we ended up losing, but that's probably the most likely scenario. The other option was Kansas State. Obviously, they lost to Vandy, so they're not as good as people thought they were. Who else is going to challenge in the conference? TCU? Texas? I mean, TCU and West Virginia, I guess, would have to be the next – two but i just i don't think they've got the hosses that the oklahoma schools do yeah i was hoping i was hopeful for west virginia this year but they i don't think they've got the talent to keep up at the end of the day Um, but you know and the worst the worst thing that could happen to the big 12 is you have a bedlam where you know say oklahoma comes in and just beats the ever-living shit out of oklahoma state you know beats them by three touchdowns and then has to play them a week later and does the same thing again (laughs) (laughs) It would be, I think it would be ironic if like one team beats the crap out of them in the first game and then comes back and the exact opposite happens in the playoff in the championship. Although I would really feel bad for whoever loses. Uh, that would be pretty crazy, especially if it knocked both of them out of the playoffs. Oh, that would be hilarious. I mean, I think a lot of people are saying the Big Twelve doesn't deserve to be in the playoff at all right now, anyway. And it's a real struggle for them to prove themselves because now they've got to win against basically they've got to prove themselves by winning against themselves, which is probably the weakest conference. Uh, it's going to be really hard to make that argument, but we'll see. It's it's going to be a fun, fun thing to look at if you care about Big 12 football. All right, moving on. Our last major topic is the Fish-Smithson report. So, Andrew, I'm not sure if you've actually looked up anybody. Do you want me to go first? I got some guys. All right, hit it. Go for it. Uh, my first one is going to go to Alex Hornibrook, the quarterback at Wisconsin, who in a blowout game went 18 of 19 for 256 yards and four touchdowns. That's uh, it's pretty efficient up there, especially for a Wisconsin team that doesn't really like to run the ball. 
I don't really like to throw the ball. You know, Wisconsin's a very much line them up and hit you in the mouth kind of offense. You know, Northern Illinois defense with two pick sixes that helped them to beat Nebraska, including an absolutely beautiful pick six on a bubble screen where the corner made a fantastic play. You know, and then the other, you know, Josh Adams, which really isn't an exciting name. It's actually a fairly boring name for Notre Dame at 18 carries for 229 yards. That's some efficiency right there. And then Kelly Bryant at Clemson really impressed me against Louisville. You know, we're not we're not going to say he's Deshaun Watson 2.0 just yet. But I think he's definitely a guy who has shown that he can take the reins of that offense and, and really kind of keep them trucking along and trucking along, much like Watson was. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I was trying to look up Artem's guy, and I've totally forgotten his name now. I know his, name, his last name is Bush, and it's on Michigan. So I'm going to read off the stats for Devin Bush. No, it's not Devin Bush. It's the uh, it's Furbush, the uh, linebacker. Oh, it's Furbush. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Hold on a second. Okay, let me get this guy's stats up. Because Artem's Artem's the kind of man that likes likes his bush with a little fur on it. Okay, so it's not Charlie Furbush, the starting pitcher for the Seattle Mariners, right? <laughs> I don't think so, unless he moonlights as a linebacker at Michigan in his spare time. <sighs> I'm really. I really feel bad for not being able to look up these stats beforehand. Okay, I think it's, I believe it is Noah Furbush. Let's see if I can actually find this guy's stats. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, here we go. So, honestly, not as impressive as the other bush I was looking at, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he had in the Air Force game he had five total tackles, one solo, four assisted. Missed out, didn't get any sacks. So, eh, it is an okay game. We'll see. I expect him to pick up against Purdue this week. As for my guy, I'm looking at Arizona's Demetrius Flanagan Fowles. Uh <laughs> Seems like he should be a British guy with a monocle and a glass of tea. Which is which is honestly the exact opposite of how he looks. I don't know. He kind of reminds me of Chance the Rapper, which is weird because he looks nothing like Chance the Rapper. But anyway, uh, against UTEP, he only had he had two solo tackles, but he did have a fumble recovery, which is, I think is the key thing to keep track of. He has gotten a turnover in every game he's played so far this year. I think last week against Houston, he had an interception, and before that against Northern Arizona, he actually had two interceptions. So let's see if he can keep on pace and get in turnover in every remaining game this year. All right. So I think that about wraps us up. Andrew, do you have any other topics? I know last week was a little stressful for you. Uh, you got anything else you want to talk about before we close out? You know, like I said, I'm, I'm excited for Georgia Tech to get a chance to play again. I kind of kind of missed watching watching them on offense and you know i'm excited with mississippi state you know they they came out and won a big one against lsu and we kind of got to see if maybe they're the team to step up this year and you know play alabama close and lose at the end i mean as fun as it is to watch navy or air force it's just not the same you know all right well with that we're gonna wrap it up 
Thank you, as always, to our listeners. Uh, if you have any questions for us, shoot us an email at toemeatleather at gmail.com. Also, check out our Twitter account at toemeatleather. Uh, that's uh, leather, L-E-A-T-H-L-R, uh, on Twitter. Shoot us a tweet, and we'll get, be- and we'll get back to you. All right. Till next time, have a good one.